0: Welcome back to experience by design podcast I'm your host Gary David Today's show, we have Diane Majors. Diane has a really long and distinguished career in customer experience. Most recently, she was the interim CEO of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. And before that, she has engaged with a lot of companies, big and small, around how to really integrate customer experience as part of their core culture. And in our conversation, we span that career and look at not just where customer experience has come from, but also where it's going. Customer experience is a tricky thing. Part of that is knowing not just what you're trying to design and deliver, but also what your customers expect. Reminded me of a situation recently where after a long day of teaching, I was needing to buy some brake fluid for my car. The warning light kept going off and I had ignored it. It seemed like brake fluid is an important thing to have. So I decided quickly on my way home to stop by the automotive store and grab some brake fluid. And in the course of trying to figure out whether I needed dot three or dot four, I was talking with the worker a little bit and disclosed to him that I teach sociology for a living. It's always risky when you're telling somebody what you do for a living because that might invite further conversation around that topic when you really don't want to have it. And in this situation, the worker decided to ask me, well, since you're a sociologist, maybe you can tell me why marriage doesn't matter anymore. I knew at that point I wasn't getting out of there quickly. And he continued to disclose to me that his wife had an affair with an old boyfriend who she had happened to bankrupt and who was seeking revenge on her by having an affair with her to break up her current marriage with him. I also learned that he is from Peru. I also learned that he went to business school. I also learned that he owns land in Peru and that they have a son together. And his big question for me was, why can't the courts do something to punish this person who broke up his marriage, and continued to talk with me about the way things used to be and how good they were way back when. And it's one of those moments when you're a sociologist or in any profession where you really have to decide how. How in do you want to get? How deep do you want to go? And I didn't want to seem rude, but I also didn't want to engage. And so there I was, stuck needing my brake fluid for my car because I need brakes in your car. And having this conversation with a person who I really did not want to have a conversation with, really didn't want to have that moment that mattered, didn't want to have that point of connection or authenticity. I just wanted the brake fluid and to get out. Luckily, I was saved by a person who came in to buy windshield wiper fluid or something else, and that allowed me to close the interaction in a way that allowed me to escape and get home. And it really does call in the question, what are we looking for as customers? How do we design these moments? And how do we capture what our customers want and need? It also gets to, as Diane will talk about, what is the future of customer experience? Where is it going? How do we think about human behavior in context of what other service we're providing or whatever good we're selling or whatever we're trying to accomplish in that moment. And so it was really great to talk to Diane because of her background in clinical psychology, her breadth and range of experience, and also her ability to think forward and ask those questions about what customer experience is going to be, what experience design is going to be, and all all of it is going to fit together in the future. Hope you enjoy it. I'm always curious about how you got started in this space by the way how does one get involved in it in the first place
1: it's odd i think now it's more purposeful because it's become something um but back when i started it was completely accidental and it was a bunch of us out there just doing what we thought was the right thing to do um and i'll I'll tell a story about a, a CEO that I had who really made that change. But um, I didn't plan to do this. I was in human behavior. My background is in clinical psychology. So, so I'd always been interested in human behavior and, you know, why people did the way they, what the things they do, um, how it impacts uh, brands and organizations and family and community. Um, so that it seemed to be a natural thing for me. When I got out of psychology, I went to work for, um, a, you know, a, a person who was getting ready to start a company in the basement of his house. And I love the entrepreneurial spirit that he had, um, the risk-taking the, I'm going to go build something. So I partnered with him and four years later, we had um, a, a big organization that he sold. Um, I learned so much about business and people and employees and kind of building something from the ground up was really exciting. So I caught the entrepreneur bug at that point, And then went to work for a division of go foods and, my CEO, Greg Marshall, was a um, very charismatic guy, and he said, we're not going to do anything unless the customers really tell us, and we're going to kind of run down the path of letting them lead, because we know the money will follow, um, and the loyalty will follow. And so I just went out and started talking with customers, worked, worked with Mike Lowenstein way back when, doing customer surveys, and we we put together impact um, And then I was asked to come down to Cisco Corporate to help run their strategy team. Um, And kind of everything that touched the customer uh, was our responsibility. And that really is where we started to see customer experience become more of a theme and a way of doing business and organization. So I grew into it totally by chance, but still in the human behavior realm.
0: I want to get back to this basement. Was it a nice basement, or was it? Because I'm in my basement right now, and it's not very nice. And if I was to start a business down here and invited people over to work for me, they'd probably be horrified and frightened that I was trying to abduct them. (laughs) So you know, it was
1: much. It was much like that. Was it really? (laughs) So people, people talk about trust.
0: Trust is hard to you know develop (laughs) and at work. You must have really trusted this this guy to say yes. I'm going to come into your basement, which is you know power tools and you know, ropes and things and you're like, yeah, Yeah. this is fine.
1: Yeah. I'd known him. I'd known him him for some time. Yeah. I'd known him for some time. It wasn't like I met him on the street, but um, it was, it was interesting to me because what I liked about psychology was the ability to impact somebody's lives and going into business, I realized that, you know, I had the opportunity to do the same thing only in a much bigger way. So that was, that was what really drove me to, um, to, to business and, and more so just a connection to people and helping understand what, what drives crazy behavior sometimes and um, how people really work. So it was a good natural
0: progression. That's a, yeah, I really want to actually, I'm glad I asked about the basement because the point you just made is, about impact is a really interesting one. I'm having this conversation at my place of employment right now, Bentley University, around impact factors. And and the traditional model of academia is for a professor, you have three areas of impact, scholarly impact, uh, teaching, and service. And for most research one type of institutions, your big universities, they could care less about the teaching and the service. They care about the research and the grant dollars. And, you know, and, and so this whole kind of, you know, industry grew up around trying to publish materials that are you know written for the smallest possible audience and that's what we call impact right you know it's you know these very few people who have specialized in this topic that i do have read this document and they cite it and therefore i'm having impact and or and universities aren't set up traditionally to have broader impact outside of their own their own academic domains and i've always found that really frustrating Right. And so I really do appreciate this idea of in business, you can have direct and immediate impact, whereas in other areas that are more traditionally suited for a psychologist or a sociologist or anthropologist, we can't. And it's frustrating. frustrating. And it might take two years to publish a paper that maybe someone reads versus, you know, your trajectory (laughs) of I can have immediate impact because I'm listening to customers. We can make changes and it affects their experiences.
1: Yeah, I, I think about if you ask anybody, um, for the, those of you who are listening and think about the last bad experience you've had, there are so many things to go into that. And the ability to change something in an organization where your call makes your life easier um, is really where brands are starting to understand that's where you're going to build loyalty. It's not, it is the product, um, it is the delivery, for example, with Amazon, but you know what it is, it's really about how we make people feel. Um, because brands have been so inter-centered um, and focused on themselves and what customers need to do in order to make them survive. Um, now millennials and our expectations as consumers has completely shifted that. We, we now know that brands who are focused on community, on, on creating value in the world, like a Tom's Shoes, um, and really understanding the personal impact that they have to people, That's the one, the brands that are surviving and will thrive. So it's been this dynamic shift to, it's a different purpose and intention and a different purpose for brands to really think about why they, why they live and breathe and what their true oxygen is. Their true oxygen is their employees and customers, um, not the product or service that they provide.
0: This is always funny for me when I'm at, you know, being at a business school as a sociologist, And it's what I call the open house problem. It's where I'm standing at my sociology table and no one's talking to me because I'm at the sociology table. And, you know, someone might come up to me because they feel bad because I'm standing there by myself. And they'll say, what does sociology have to do with business? And you just kind of look at them for a second. (laughs) And the the answer I used (laughs) to give was, well, everything. It has everything to do with business because... Sociology has everything to do with everything. It's like psychology. It's, you can't escape it because it invo- as long as it involves people, it involves sociology. And you know this idea of you know, we're not mm-hmm. just selling products, yeah. we're selling community, we're selling belonging, we're selling purpose, we're selling feeling, right? We're selling identity. Um, you know I, th- mm-hmm. I, th- I think companies I'd be interested in your take on this. Companies might at one level like to talk about that. But when when it comes time for them to change what they're doing, to actually commit themselves to that perspective, they are hesitant to do so or maybe not as eager to do so. And those companies that perform well are those who are more willing to take on that change in perspective.
1: Well, I think that's one of the reasons when you think about the future of when we say experience design or our customer experience or employee experience are really ill equipped. Uh, to understand what that means. Um, they want to be more experience-centric, they want to provide you know, great experiences, but they don't understand in order to do that, they're gonna have to shift the way that people work, um, how they behave, how they think, and how they feel. And that's often not something organizations really think about when they think about becoming that kind of beloved brand, you know, shifting your brand. It's, it's, they think it's more, hey, operationally, or we need to incent our people differently. And it truly is this, I hate to say culture shift, but that's, that's what it is. It is you existed as a business for quite some time and were probably very successful doing what you did, but that doesn't work anymore. Um, there is, it's kind of the new normal of you need to be in transition. You need to be thinking, you need to be moving. And if you don't, you don't swim toward this, um, you're going to get left behind Um, because there's organizations out there who are changing around these, these changing norms and values in, in the world, right? The norms and values are changing and people are gravitating to different things and people as a result of what's happening. Um, I often you know, it kind of brings me to a point of one of the things I think a lot about is, do you remember the movie WALL-E um, sure. with the robot who, who was cleaning up after all the humans had left the planet because they destroyed it? And everybody's floating around and doing nothing. I often wonder what, as we become a, a community and, and a world that things are more convenient um, and we're getting our deliveries, you know, same day for whatever reason, who knows who needs what on the same day, except maybe diapers and water. <laughs> um, how, how in the world um, would, we, would we think that when all these things become so convenient for us, what are we going to do with our time and our brain power? We, are we giving people time to spend time thinking about the true problems the world has, like you know, climate change and um, you know, third world countries and you know, the, the homelessness issues? How are we solving those bigger things? So I, I believe that the organizations, and as we move forward in this um, experience and making things so easy for people, there's definitely going to be a shift in, well, now that my life is easy and I have all this time back, what do I do with that? how do I, how do I use that time? It's it's really vexing me um, Uh, as we just get more and more. What are people going to do? Yeah.
0: I have an answer for that. Um, We sign up for more ultra marathons and Ironman races. And I I actually mean that kind of (laughs) seriously that, and I used to, I also do a, you know, I record a podcast on, on, on ultra or extreme sports, like endurance sports. And one of the things that I would often say about those kinds of activities And this is a very classist kind of position. And I appreciate that because not everybody has, you know, free time. It's, you know, leisure time. But, you know, those kinds of extreme events, those extreme sporting events, athletic endeavors are really playing at suffering because our lives have become comfortable. And because our lives have become comfortable, people seek out challenges that help define them in their own eyes and in the eyes of others as being um, you know, more fully human because we still retain this ability, this, uh, you know, this, this physical performance to go out there and, and suffer on purpose. And again, that's, that's a whole class-based argument. Cause you know, a lot of people are out there suffering right now. It's like a, you know, first world problems, right? How do I spend my leisure time now that I have so much? And, you know, people in the third world are going, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like, y- you don't have eating disorders as much if you, if you're constantly looking for food. So I, I think it's, yeah. it's an interesting question yeah. about I, how, how, how we then you know incorporate or how, what, what experiences then become available to get us back in touch with this this forgotten element of self, which is that you know the struggle to exist, which is primordial when everything does become convenient that self improvement and that
1: ability to be more part of a community of, of like people is part of that psychology we talked about earlier of if we're evolving in Maslow's hierarchy, if we're evolving in, I want to be a bigger part of making this world tick in a different way. Those are ways that that happens. Um, Because I also see a lot more um, thread that people wanting to be part of something bigger than themselves. And maybe that's the graying of America where people are kind of shifting from inwardly focused out. But even millennials in the new generation, they want to contribute and understand that there's big issues to solve um, um, as humans. And that's part of what they want to be a part of. They've kind of leapfrogged this a little bit um, in making sure that it happens. So
0: that's, it's
1: interesting that you say that that was something because that is a way that people contribute to themselves and to the bigger purpose.
0: So when you, on that point, one of the words you used earlier was experience-centric. A lot of people get stuck on customer centricity or user centricity or employers, employee centricity, or even in university, student centricity, you know, how do you then create this You know, in the most mundane of organizations that, you know, is not causing, you're know, not, not causing cancer, curing cancer. A lot of organizations cause cancer. Thankfully there are those who <laughs> yeah. try to cure it too. How do you then create <laughs> a sense of, you know, this purpose or is it, or can't you in organizations where it's just, doing, I don't know, mundane, routine, everyday kind of, you know, businessy stuff that's not part of this larger saving the world kind of framework.
1: Yeah, but I think even a a company that manufactures widgets, like um, think about a a company who manufactures parts for um, air conditioning units, right? there is still this ecosystem of um, experiences. So I I like to talk about that ecosystem because I think people get so focused on just what their brand is doing. um, And they forget that the employee who comes to work every day uh, has a life and how they feel about how they work, you know, creates that culture and you spend a lot of your time at work. And so how do you help people Um, feel more rewarded and valued and part of you know something bigger than themselves even if it is just accomplishing goals for the brand or you know creating a good working relationship with people and and being part of a team i mean all these things that we're doing in experience design of being more collaborative and um, cross-teaching skill sets all of that is really about personal development if you think about it Um, it's a different way of working it's new it's a new muscle for organizations On the other side, it's also about this ecosystem of experiences. So um, you think about now, like I give this example, and I think they tested it, but maybe it didn't work. But Uber can now, you can order your Starbucks and have Uber bring your Starbucks when the driver picks you up. Or your refrigerator orders food uh, from the grocery store and you have it delivered. Um, that requires brands to work together. And so as we think about the way that we as human beings live our lives, we're now starting to anticipate that, hey, you know what? I go to the movie. You should know what I order all the time and potentially have it ready. Or, um, hey, I'm traveling. Why can't the airline and the rental car and the Airbnb um, collaborate on my arrival and what happens and suggest things for me, right? This, we're going to see, I think, brands having to work together around the experience um and because of that i think it's going to create this bigger viewpoint of what they can do um, even as brands go outside of their typical line of work and line of business but also how they collaborate with other brands to to create experiences that are that are just differentiating um in an organization so that's why i don't use you know customer experience is a great way that's obviously um the biggest um, revenue driver for, for a brand. But if you start thinking about all these other experiences like employees, that's, that's most of your cost in an organization or um, how are you gonna expand and, and grow your business if you're not looking for new opportunities all the time. So this innovation, collaboration, agility that organizations are after doesn't happen by accident. So it's all about the experience of the employees, customers and, and other brands, partners, suppliers. Um, all the people who contribute to the success of an, of an organization.
0: sounds like a lot of pressure. I mean, you start talking about, you know, why, why doesn't my era, why can't the airline talk to, you know, um, the rental car company? And then I start thinking, well, why can't the airline just give me more than like one biscuit when I'm doing a transcontinental flight? I mean, so like, there's like a the little <laughs> that, there's like the, the small wins, which would be great. Like, you know, why can't you give me more than just this, this little bit of food, you know, given that I'm flying six hours, and I just had this on Alaska Air, flying from Boston to uh, Portland, literally, I got, you know, besides, like, my my ice, you know, watered down or, you know, iced to the top yeah. ginger ale, yeah. I got, like, these two, like, those two, like, little, you know, hard cookies that they give you, those biscotti, or those biscotti cookies or whatever yep. they are. I was yep. like, like, really? Hardly I mean,
1: anybody eat. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know,
0: I was, I was yeah. begging, I was walking around saying, is anybody not eating theirs? Can I have them? You know, so. Because <laughs> I'm hungry. Because it's, um, it's a six hour flight. So, you know, at this one hand, you know, it'd be great if the, you know, that they could communicate with my rental car company to, you know, who could then have my seat in the appropriate position. Um, when I get it, right. I have to adjust it. On the other hand, do I need all that or do I, do I just need like more food on my six hour flight?
1: Well, I, I think you bring up an interesting point for me. And when you when you talk about you know the the future of customer experience, I worry a little bit that people start to see customer experiences or any experience, employees too, as you know surveys and and scores, metrics, and going and fixing things. And that's not at all what it's about. Um, anybody who's an experienced professional doing it right will will say we're going to solve and optimize the way the organization work, and what they can achieve. We're going to solve the business problems. An example of that would be because somebody said we're going to cut corners on cost for food, your experience with that brand now has become painted, and I bet you don't want to fly that particular brand anymore, and you tell other people that story. Um, so the trade-off there was they were reducing costs, but they didn't think about the long-term benefit of creating a great experiences with those small wins that really can it's the light. It's just, Hey, I have an expectation and I have a human need of being hungry right. that I need met. They, they don't have what I call executive patience to be able to make those investments and know in the long run may cost a little bit more now, but in the long run, the loyalty and the advocacy that you get for that is which, what's really going to drive your business benefit. It is solving that problem of, Retaining customers, acquiring customers, cost to serve, um, cost of acquisition, all those things that executives worry about, um, if they see it, that experience design can really fix those things and give them some long-term stability rather than quarterly wins, that's where we see organizations really be successful.
0: I, I, I definitely do agree with that. And... You know, my relationship with Alaska Air right now is you know, commodity based. You know, if, if, if I can't find another flight and it's cheap enough and I'm in a bind, you know, all these things, I'll settle for you versus I will absolutely commit to using you because you're my brand. And it goes back to the stories after September 11th where people were emailing or not emailing, but sending checks into Southwest because they were worried about how 9-11 was impacting the airline. Or you know, here in in New England, when um, Market Basket was have you know the CEO of Market Basket was kicked out, people went on strike for the CEO and the workers, and the workers went on strike not for not not for their own benefits, but to retain the CEO who got kicked out by the board. I mean, that's what we're you know that that's the the Mount Everest of you know brand loyalty yeah. is where yeah, and and, and, and yeah. giving me like two cookies on a six-hour flight ain't going to do it, no matter. Yeah, anything It's just going to make me want to fly you if you're cheap enough. And it's, you know, at the right time, and maybe I'll settle for you. But I'm not going to sing your praises. And I'm certainly not going to use your stupid credit card that you're trying to sell me on the flight, which I can then use to buy more food because you didn't give me any.
1: <laughs> it's it's ironic isn't it that even even as you're telling me this story i've i think i've flown alaska airline once but i i guess i wasn't paying attention but you just planted in my head that this is an airline that i may or may not want to to fly and and if they're listening um they'll be saying gosh you know if we're oh, they're listening like, spirit, trust me <laughs> if spirit air mm-hmm. is saying we're going to be the low you know bare fee okay i get that i expect that but you know, having this expectation of um, paying a certain fare and and really wanting to be comfortable on a flight and thinking this is going to be I'll take normal for you know for example right but if it's something where it's it's uncomfortable seats or it's crazy to try to get in are the people like these um, stewards and and um, flight attendants are are not nice and they're rude and they never smile that's that's huge those unconscious things what I what I often say is um, I don't think people realize the unconscious things that you collect when you have an experience that are really more influential than what you say and you know, and you recognize, like you, you might say, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I flew Southwest air from Dallas to Philadelphia, which is a fairly long flight. And when I got there, I was getting into my um, rental car and something just wasn't settling with me. And what I realized is that on that flight, no attendee, no flight attendant, Um, cracked a joke or smiled or said anything. It was a very somber flight. And so my expectation of that particular airline was, well, this is going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, then I become disappointed. Now, I still fly Southwest as much as I can, but it's that unconscious piece that we really need to start paying attention to and designing around. That's why in experience design, the psychology and sociology really come into play. Um, Here's an example of that. If I were to ask you, um, why you shop at your favorite um, home improvement store? What would you, what would you tell me?
0: Uh, it's, it's the closest one.
1: It's the closest one. So would you drive out of the way to go to another one if you were in another city and go past another store?
0: I wouldn't drive out of the way to go to that particular brand um, if okay. there was one that was more convenient.
1: Yeah, so a matter convenience. of
0: convenience. And yeah. as a matter of fact, you mentioned this, I have to go buy a bunch of wood to build a new chicken coop. Uh-huh. And, and, I, and i'm going to go to a much smaller local um lumber yard versus the big box brand because the wood at the big b- box brand is reliably horrible and okay. you know it's just like it's usually warped and it's knotted and you have to sift through a bunch of two by fours or four by fours to find good lumber and you know it really does create like kicking food on a flight it it requires your customers to do more work than they signed on to do. So a lot
1: of that, when you ask somebody, and for those of you listening, if, if you try this technique, right, a lot of times when you ask people questions like that, you probably, Gary, I've never thought about that. Like you knew you, knew you were going to go to that place, but you probably never thought about what went through your unconscious mind about why right, you right. weren't going to go to a big box. And so helping people to discover the unconscious, what, what you're really thinking and what goes through your brain that you don't spout out your mouth or it's working at night, you know, when you're Sleeping um, becomes part of how we discover what people want out of the experience. Um, that's really hard to get in a survey, really hard to get even in an interview. So we really have to be sleuths and detectives right. <laughs> to think through all the things and how people are thinking about it. In addition to what you just talked about, that ecosystem, right? It wasn't just what my brand produced, because I think I'm doing the right thing, but why are people not choosing us? Um, why are they choosing us? So it's, it's back to, again, this psychology about how we un- um, uncover that unconscious behavior and, and, um, and attitudes toward brands.
0: I, I do appreciate this sleuth and detective because that's how I think about ethnography. And when I teach my course on ethnography for experience design, you know, people are like, Oh, so it's field methods, right? And I'm like, no, it's, you know, it's bigger than that. You know, it's this, this, this search for, um, you know, knowledge about the experiences, lived experiences of the group of people you're trying to understand and the culture of that group, what it, you know, through whatever means is available. But it's really this, and I never thought about it as a sleuth. I have said, you know, being an ethnographer is a great way to legally um, be a voyeur. If you're voyeuristic, become an ethnographer because when the police stop you, you can say, no, I'm just an ethnographer and they'll generally leave you alone. That's funny. I've heard, not that I've had that happen to Sam. me. Oh, I was going to say that sounds very devious. <laughs> you know, a friend of mine told me that that's something that happened to him, but I wouldn't know anything about it. But it is this way of getting at you know, the worlds of other people so that, you know, in, in traditional ethnography and academic ethnography, the goal is to write academic papers that people will read or don't read in, you know, more, you know, what I call innovation ethnography. It's to uncover these things so you can then uh, create, innovate, intervene, construct, and improve the situations that people are trying to improve.
1: That is spot on. That was an awesome
0: way to say it. I'm glad we're recording it because I don't know that I could do it again. I might be able to do it again.
1: <laughs> That's I, uh, people who know me say they know that about me. Like if, if I say it once, don't ask me to repeat it because I'm not going to be able to say it again. Because yeah. it, it's, it's kind of back to the unconscious where, Following a conversation like this and having conversations with our customers, that's why we do it, is in the moment people are willing to share things and process things in a different way when you're able to tease out that information. And that's where organizations really need to pay attention to their employees and their suppliers and partners and have a conversation. Stop, stop, I don't say stop sending surveys, but pick up the phone and call them or go to the store and, and watch people walk in and ask them why they're there. And you really have to get into that, that true understanding of where they are because surveys and, and scores and metrics aren't telling you what you need to do about your business and how you're going to move forward in the future.
0: Yes. You know, as we're talking about all this experience design stuff, it does make me think we do have the customer experience professionals association We do have the User Experience Professionals Association. We do have the Society for Human Resources Management, which I guess is the employee experience one. Where is the experienced professionals organization? I mean, is there one, should there be one? Is this, are we gonna remain in this kind of siloed space between different experiences? Or is there gonna be a greater need to have professionals who as you said are experienced professionals who can touch on all of these points or any point that emerges?
1: Well, much like any other profession, I think you, and what I like about, so I'll start there with customer experience. What, what I've learned about um, doing um, the discipline of customer experience is that you have to be a little bit of a knowledgeable expert in a whole bunch of different fields. If you're truly going to bring an organization together, you got to know IT and a little bit about HR and operations and sales and marketing. Um, it's no different with this profession. We, we preach all the time, don't work in silos. And yet um, we don't work with the other experienced professionals in our organization. I had the unique opportunity to have UX report to me at, at Cisco Foods uh, for a time. And that was eye-opening to say there's people with that skills that are embedded in the organization and bringing them together. But you're right, in the, in the field of experience, we have not had a way to bring all those folks
0: together around and everybody's viewpoint of it. Do you think there's gonna be more of that happening? Because, you know, companies are going to start getting more into, you know, the experience ecosystem as we've been talking about it, or is it, you know, still going to be siloed? And I just just had this conversation with a student of mine who's a user experience graduate student, and we were talking about, you know, the classic conundrum, or maybe not so classic, but an interesting one, is user experience part of customer experience, or is customer experience part of user experience? And that always depends on who you ask. Um, but it does get, you know, where does employee experience land in all of this? Is that just customer experience? Because your employees are internal customers. You know, how do we see exactly. all this coming exactly. together or breaking apart?
1: Um, I, I really see it as, um, well, I'll, I'll say this, it becomes more of a, a strategic um, transformation approach. Um, if I really think about the work that I do today with clients, um, we, we start kind of with the experience, but when you start to bring all those pieces together in order to make headway, you really have to think about what's the digital team doing and how are we enabling with technology and what is that user experience, but what is the, the agent experience and what are people they're walking in the store or they're on our app, all of the the ways that those experiences get created uh, are, there's a lot of things that are on stage, but there's people behind, behind the scenes that are creating those too, and they have an impact on decisions they make. So it does become this holistic piece, and we have to be able to bring those things together and be, I always call the mortar between the bricks, right? That's what I feel like in an organization that experienced professionals can do, is to bring those pieces and parts together um, and really make it, make it sing and make it a stronger company because everybody's working together. Not an easy task, not an easy task, but definitely worth it.
0: And this is also where I think, you know, as a sociologist, you know, we, we, we have the opportunity to make a larger contribution from a sociological perspective because we have a systems perspective. We're used to seeing larger social systems and an experienced mm-hmm. ecosystem is a social system and how, mm-hmm. those, how those things come together and integrate and how you pluck the string here, how it reverberates over there in unintended ways possibly. How do you then, what are the multiplicity of ways you can measure that, not just one quantitative score, but also qualitative scores. And it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, I think that this is gonna be, and this is what I talk about with my consulting is an integrated experience design approach rooted in a systems framework. you know trying Mm -hmm. to see how those things tie together. And this is where managers or, you know, business executives can start freaking out because they feel the problem can get really big, really fast. And so how do you then kind of talk them off the ledge and say, you know what, you should still do this, even though it might seem daunting. There are places to start that are easy, small wins. Or do you say we have to change the organizational culture and we got to stop, you got to start with this huge shift, I mean, how do you make no. it manageable given how big it is?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's just like anything else. Like you, you said, you know, running an Ironman, you don't, you don't go out and run an Ironman the first day. It, it is these small incremental things that build momentum. And pretty soon there's a shift. Um, I've been in organizations where, you know, you get, you kind of have those people who are naturally bent that way. They, they see it, they want it, they want this bigger picture. Go find those natural champions and, and, you know, build stories. Um, we resonate with stories. Like I had you share a story about why you were going to a different uh, store. Um, we those stories are personal to us. That's going back to cavemen and, and our, our our meager beginnings as human beings. It resonates with us when people tell stories. So have you know develop those stories and share them in the organization. And pretty soon, people are seeing the new way and they gravitate toward it because. To your sociology background, they want to be a part of something bigger and better. Um, but it takes that slow build. And yes, it takes discipline. So yeah, you got to have the, you know, the, the structure in place, and you got to make things work differently. But it's also about creating this this groundswell to follow that that eventually takes over. Um, an example of that is at one company I worked with, we had to put a a charter that said no no project shall start unless there's a cross-functional team in the room and continuing to babysit that all the way till the project gets launched. And people threw a hissy about that because it was like, oh, I don't have time to do it. But what they recognized as they worked through the project was, Um, They were stronger together. There was less work. There was less throwing things over the fence. Um, They got to solutions quicker by having everybody in the room. They could get information they needed, you know, right on the spot. It made them more agile. And it was like, oh, this is a new way of working. So we did away with the requirement because the organization started working organically that way, which is pretty cool. Then people start to realize there's a a better and different way. So one step at a time.
0: Have you ever been in a situation uh, where you're talking to, an organization an executive team management whatever and you're just thinking to yourself you know what they're just doomed they they they, they don't really don't get it and they're not going to follow it and i can try to help but you know they need to you know the, they 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 don't have what it takes to commit to this i mean maybe it's an unfair question to ask but i'm just kind of curious it's easy to say all you got to do is such and such but at the same time for experienced professionals a lot of it is trying to manage people's you know willingness to do the work.
1: Well, and that, that comes down to a lot of different things, right? So a lot of executives, you know, don't want to rock the boat. They've got a, they've got stock options, they've got, you know, their incentive, they're measured a certain way. Um, so it, w- whether they're into it, sometimes it's driven by their own personal. That's why you really have to understand those stakeholders and know where they are. Um, I think it's, it's a, it's a really, interesting question because there's two levels of it when people say they want to be experience centric they think it's kind of the cool thing to do and it's this this is what we got to go do let's go do it but they don't really understand it and so when you have somebody who's pushing back once you educate them about what it is and what it can do for the organization that you're solving the business problems with you know being experience centered um, then they start to to get it. But when when they think it's, oh, my gosh, we've got to go get all this data together and we've got to put these cross-functional teams and do this and to increase our, our and net promoter score, why? Right? That doesn't make any sense to me. Why would I do that? Right. Um, but if I can tell the story in a different way, about solving the business problems for the stakeholders and the strength of the organization and the growth they can achieve, um, being defensive on disruptors that are coming, all the things that keep them up at night, then they start to understand. And then you can tell a story of here's how, and here's a very structured way to do it. So you're bringing them along on the journey. Um, But yeah, I've had those organizations where it's like, oh, they're never gonna, (laughs) they're never, they're gonna talk the talk, but they're not gonna walk the walk.
0: And hopefully just, it's not an organization you you're working in at the time, which is the nice thing about consulting because you can go, wow, this is a dumpster fire. See you later. <laughs> versus, versus, yeah, this is awful. I guess I got to stay here and deal with it.
1: Well, I, you know, it's the, it's the challenge too, right? If there's organizations who you can see uh, the potential and you want them to, and sometimes they're able to, to look in the mirror and sometimes they're not. Um, so you just have to, you know, take as much as you can and hope that you're improving Along the way, the employee and customer experience as much as you can.
0: And I do think. I do think that as companies buy on, you know, buy into this. When I was, when I first started teaching ethnography at a business school in a user experience program, it's like ten years ago, and not a lot of companies were doing that kind of work. And so, especially in an MBA culture, which I teach an MBA program you know, can be heavily quantitative and they can look at some of the techniques in ethnography and look askance at it and say, well, that's not real data or whatnot. And today the, the argument, if someone says to me, well, why should I do this? I will say something like, I don't know. Let's go ask Google. And, and they'll go, oh, okay, right? So, I mean, there's enough cases. Of, <laughs> you know, funny. <laughs> you know, what companies use this? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe we should go over to Intel and see what they think. You know, (laughs) and and, you know, I I tell people there's a reason why leadership is taught in MBA programs. And the reason is because they're not, you know, managers, especially middle managers don't tend to be, and sorry, middle managers that you're listening, but it's true. Don't tend to be the biggest leaders in terms of visionaries, because being out on that limb can, if it breaks, you're going to fall and no one wants to be out there. And so having those success stories that you can then pull from to say they did it and look where they are, you know, can really help, I think, others to make that leap, right, and to kind of say, okay, we, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a case to be done, there's success stories to be looked at that can help guide us of why we should be doing this. And it's not just net promoter score, but there's larger benefits that can be derived from this kind of journey, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's for me like one of the challenges in the business school is that my my students used to think, and it's starting to change a little bit that they would say the primary responsibility of CEOs is to maximize shareholder value, right? The classic University of Chicago school perspective. And now with the, you know the business roundtable statement that we need to shift from a shareholder perspective into a stakeholder perspective that makes a really nice tie-in to this larger experience ecosystem approach because it is all about mm-hmm. all the stakeholders in the space.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And that, while that seems overwhelming for people who are already in this space going, yeah, but I just got like this part done, um, that's where we need to be skating. That, that's where the true value is going to come in because many times when we've tried to make changes just to the customer experience and we don't bring the employee piece along or the supplier partner, um, we find that it, it doesn't resonate and it doesn't stick as well.
0: What I I use the example a lot with my students and when I give talks to companies, the TV show hoarders, if you've ever watched hoarders. Yes. Where, you know, There are two kinds of people on this show, other than the hoarder and other than the mice where the hoarder's living or the cats, some of whom might be dead. But the people who walk into the home that's being hoarded and they get overwhelmed really quickly, freak out and, and then run away or get really angry and emotional. And, you know, it's, it's a big scene. And then you have the psychologist who walks in and is walking over all of the material and detritus and all of the trash and goes, oh, I see this is a living room without even blinking. Mm-hmm. yeah. So tell me mm-hmm. about this over here. Tell me about this pile of trash over here and what this means to you. And that's the experienced professional in these situations, not overwhelmed by the seeming enormity of the task ahead. And then at the very end of the show, even though the place is not great, you look at it and go, eh, it's a lot better. <laughs> and so it's, yeah. it's yeah. part of that, you exactly. know, not perfect, <laughs> exactly. but you know what, it doesn't have exactly. to be to be better.
1: Well, what's, what's perfect. I always say to people, you know, we have great job security on one hand, we need to work ourselves out of a job so that the organization is thinking this, you know, the way that, you know, great organizations do that, that do this well, but at the same time, it's never going to be done. I mean, I, I laugh at my kids. I was telling the other day about I'm going to date myself, but I did my first master's thesis on key punch cards and a computer mainframe, right? And they go, what the hell is that? Right. And as I explained it, they started laughing at me. And, you know, um, but what I said is, I want to be around in 10 years when you're telling your kids that you carried around this phone or this laptop or whatever, um, because I think you're going to find the same thing. The way things are moving so quickly in this day and age and the pressure of all of the issues we have as human beings are, are going to become very evident and need to be solved and that's just, that's just going to change things so much more rapidly. So you'll be telling this to your kids someday, and I'm going to laugh at you. And I hope they laugh at you <laughs> that you're telling these stories about where things were, because it gives us great insight into how disruption continues to come. Um, things are going to continue to change. And so we need to help organizations stay ahead of the curve. And experience is the only way, as we started the conversation, the only way that you're going to be different in this day and age.
0: I was just talking to somebody the other day, some people, and we were talking about rotary phones. And uh, I said, you know, it's a it's a good thing that, you know, we didn't have 911 when there were rotary phones more prevalent because a lot more people would have died because it takes so long for the <laughs> nine to yeah, sort of- Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, it's like, if you're on a rotary phone, and for those who don't know what that is, look it up. It's like, you know, nine? You know, what, well, zero one one was taken? Um, yeah. Yeah, so right. <laughs> Not really built <laughs> for the appropriate so time. The good thing about our job yeah. security, though, is that there will always be bad managers.
1: That's right. Oh,
0: That's right. And, so we got and that people going for
1: us. people, and people don't leave because of the company. Typically, they leave because of their manager. So even even leadership is part of um, this change in experience because they create the experience that their employees walk into every day.
0: And yeah. it, really, it really does get down to, you know, you, you might need buy-in from the – you know, executive level, but you need, you know, implementation buy-in from the middle management level. Cause that's where it's going to happen. That's where it's going to be successful or not because CEOs can say, I pronounce that la. you know, from now, from henceforth thou shalt value employee experience. And the managers are going great. That's fantastic. You know, but you're measuring me against all these performance indicators and you don't give me the resources to do these things and I'm overworked as it is. And as I tell people, managers are, managers are people too. We need to think about managerial experience and all of this. Um, And that's where it really does. And that's where I think companies who are serious really need to focus in on that middle management level and what kinds of, you know, skills, learning and development, Um, personal development as well as personnel development, those two different things to make middle management, you know, able to really embrace these kinds of visionary changes that companies need to do, because if you don't, it's none of it's going to matter. It's just going to remain, you know, mission statement talk at the top level without any real, um, you know, concrete delivery at the lower levels.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Totally well, that's good. Agree. I'm glad. It's, it would have been yeah. really uncomfortable if you said, no, that's completely wrong.
1: No, that's completely off. Yeah, you're completely right. off. Yeah. No, it, you know, it's, it's interesting to have you know, these perspectives. I think when I, when I think about what um, I do every day for a living, I walk around turning light bulbs on for people um, yeah. to get them to think differently about what they're doing and, and think about the human being on the other side and the impact that they're having as they make decisions They're unconscious or not. Lots of people make decisions every day that didn't put a lot of thought into. Um, That can have an impact in just getting people to stop and think and be engaged with their employees about what kind of environment they're creating. Like It's a great question to ask managers. What do you want people to experience when they come to work every day? What do you want the culture to be like in your department? Uh, They don't have time to stop and think about that, especially middle managers, because they're sandwiched between executives telling them what to do and having to manage their teams. So giving some time to think and plan and be intentional about what you're doing
0: yeah, is important. And, I, and I, will, I will reciprocate and say, I totally agree. And, <laughs> and there, are, there are situations where companies will say, I've had, a, I had one company say to me, we don't have time to do this. And I said, well, how much time do you have to fail? Which might not have been the best response in looking back at it, but I was right. You know, it's like you can have not enough time to do this, but you can spend all the time doing the things that you shouldn't be doing. You have enough time to that. So why don't you stop doing those things and shift to doing things that will help you long term and actually give you more time because your organization might become more quote unquote agile or your organization might become more cross-functionally collaborative um, and more innovative. And that's going to bring greater dividends than just, you know, time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. good thing. Yeah, We've got a lot totally of work agree. ahead of us. Um, so like, what's, hey. what, what's next for you? Job security.
1: Job, Job security. security. That's right.
0: <laughs> so like what's um, what's next in the frontiers of experience design and experienced professionals that you see happening coming forward?
1: Oh gosh. I think this is a prime example of, of that. I mean, I've, I've got, you know, once I've, I shifted from the, the CEO position at CXPA, I've had, uh, numerous people call and say, I'd love to have your help. I need, you know, I need to be thinking differently about what we're going to do with this organization or I've hit a wall or, um, you know, any of those things. So I'm super busy. But when, when you think about what we've just talked about helping um, practitioners in any of the experience realms really think more holistically about what they're doing, um, help, helping to figure out what comes next for this, what what is going to be that next thing. If organizations five years from now are, because it's kind of becomes a normal, what should we be thinking about? What's, what's next after that, as the world changes and things get more technology driven and we're enabling humans more, as we talked about earlier, what, what then, what's relevant, how do brands make themselves relevant? How do organizations figure out how to grow and engage people differently? So that's, that's what I spend some time thinking about when I'm not, you know, helping organizations to kind of, as I said, turn the light bulbs on. I like to think about where we're headed and how we're going to, address those
0: opportunities It's exciting yeah there's a lot there's a lot of potential and as as we become more integrative of not just you know research methods data um analysis with qualitative and quantitative also disciplinary perspectives right this idea of this cross fertilization of at least at my university of business and arts and sciences or as i like to say the arts and the art and science of business where it is that Mm -hmm. interest you know you know there's a reason why cultures advance in port cities because those are the places where cultures and peoples intersect. And it's at those intersections uh, that innovation happens because it's the cross fertilization of perspectives and ideas that creates new discoveries and new, new opportunities and new fields of vision. And what you're describing is like, is right now in this, this, you know, experienced professional space for which by the way, there are no, degree programs that I know of, even, you know, preparing people for, that there's a, it's like wide open terrain to kind of define, explore, uh, and create what that possibility might be, what it might look like, what it might entail. And that's, as you know, as you've so well put, really, really exciting. Yeah, it is. Super exciting. Super exciting. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for chatting. Really appreciate your sure. time. And if they want, people want oh, to find great. you and make you more busy, how would they do that?
1: <laughs> they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Majors, M-A-G-E-R-S. Um, and I'd be happy to help or share more about, you know, the best thing about lessons learned, having lots of experience in this space, is I pay it forward. So.
0: And no longer working in the basement. You're working. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm out there in the world uh, running with the flag up the hill.
0: Nice. Well, hopefully you're, there's a ceasefire and um, <laughs> everyone's <laughs> running behind you, not uh, trying to, you know, take you out. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, Thanks so
1: much. Thanks. Good to chat.
0: You too. All right. I want to again thank Diane Majors for taking some time to talk about customer experience and experience design. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. I want to let you know about our new Experience by Design website. That's experiencexdesign, all one word, .com where you'll find this episode and past episodes as well. There's also a subscribe button on the homepage where you can be in the loop about all Experience by Design upcoming events. There's also a contact page if you have ideas about a future podcast or you yourself want to be on a future podcast to talk about work you're doing, something you wrote, something you experienced, like the guy at the automotive store with the brake fluid. Feel free to give us some feedback. We also have a donate button where you can make a contribution to our efforts here at Experience by Design, or sign up for a sponsorship of a whole month of Experience by Design. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Let us know how you're engaging and what you'd like to hear. And thanks so much for listening.